Today's reading is from 1 John 4, 1 to 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is the word of God. Speak, O Lord till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Lord, may we see a little bit of your glory this morning as we open your word, open our hearts to what you have to say, open our minds to what you have to say, open our lives to what you have to say. Master, speak for your servants are listening. Amen. Let's sit down, everyone, and uh, you might want to pick up uh, a copy of the Bible that is in the seat in front of you, if you want to do that. Uh, That would be helpful. We're in 1 John chapter uh, 4, which Verity read so well for us this morning. Thank you again, Verity. Now, I'm of an age that I can remember when there were only a couple of TV channels, like three And um, you used to have to do things like get someone to stand with the aerial in their hand and move around to try and get a signal. Anyone else remember that? Well, we didn't have aerials on the roof necessarily and someone had to, you had to juggle it to try and get a picture and then it would be all snowy on the screen and you'd get them to move a little bit and an image would appear. Would anyone else have that experience? Some of the younger ones are going, what on earth must that have been like before the Boer War? And uh, so we only had three, three TV channels, and, um, uh, and it was a big excitement to turn on the TV at night time, you know, and the TV would go off at, uh, at the end of the day, and the national anthem would play. Do you remember that? Uh, it was a different world, a different time, and then the, the test card would come up all night, and if you were uh, an insomniac, you could sit up and watch that little girl on the test card all night. It was a simpler life and a simpler 
time. Now we are bombarded so by so many voices. There are a myriad of channels both on earth but also coming down from the heavens through the satellites. Um, and we, not only that, we have the online stuff that bombards us constantly. If you use on by online social media and stuff, you're bombarded by images, you're bombarded by um, uh, advertising, uh, targeted for you and your lifestyle. There are so many voices coming at us in the world. And the same is true in the church. There are so many voices crying out to be heard. And it can sometimes be really difficult to know what is truth and what is not truth. What should we be listening to? What should we be obeying? COVID has a lot to answer for. One of the things that is good about COVID, if you can say that, is that we've learned to go online. And we did this thing of praying online. We still do it as a church. Uh, we do it every Sunday evening. Um, not tonight, because we'll be meeting here through the hall at half past six between, uh, for an hour. Do come, if you possibly can. I hope we get a good attendance tonight. It'd be great to pray together. Um, but sometimes we pray online, and it can be a good thing to do that. It gives people a little bit of confidence. You don't need to speak out. You go on your little screen, and we pray together. It's a good thing that we're able to meet like that on the uh, dark, cold winter nights we're able to gather like that. But there is a bad side to it as well. Because there are all sorts of voices that you give a platform to and they will introduce stuff that you wonder, is that quite right? Is that quite true? Let me give you an example from this week. So on Tuesday night, I was invited about a month ago to take part in a prayer meeting on Tuesday night uh, last week on Halloween, 31st of October, with people from the four nations uh, and plus Ireland, Republic of Ireland, People's Republic of Ireland, um, to come and pray for the nations because it's Halloween and the evils of Halloween. So it was okay. It was fairly intense. You know, people, people who didn't know each other, I didn't know anybody else uh, on this Zoom call. And, uh, but there were a number of things that people began to pray for that I just wondered, I'm not quite sure about that. The big one that, I that I'll tell you about, I can remember others, but the big one was when someone said uh, how evil Halloween was. And what we need to do is to bring back the witchcraft acts. Now, if you know anything about history, you'll know that the witchcraft act was really useful if you wanted to get rid of that strange woman in the community who didn't quite behave or didn't quite fit in. Uh, we might see all sorts of waves of describing it now, how she was, to get rid of her by ducking her in the pond. And if she sank, well, she was of the devil. Or if she floated, she was of the devil. Basically, there was no way out of this. Or, and burning people at the stake, often innocent people at the stake. Let's reintroduce that. And it struck me that it's interesting because, you know, we're, in, we're living in a transitional time when Christianity, which has been the faith of the nation, is no longer in that privileged place. We're no longer in Christendom. So the places of privilege that we once had are fading away. Now, that is hugely painful for a lot of us that that is the way it is. But actually, the good side of it is that we won't be enmeshed in all of the kind of legal stuff that the church has done, that the church has been involved in, and has actually been really destructive. 
you know, has been destructive of people's lives and people's dignities and so on. Let's expunge all of that that we don't like. That is not the Jesus way. Jesus' way is turn the other cheek. Don't have control over people. Don't launch the Inquisition. No one expects the Inquisition, but Christians can be really good at launching it. And some of us want to relaunch the Inquisition in our culture, in our time. And that can be quite a loud voice in, uh, in our ear, in some quarters of the Christian church. Now, it has ever been thus. People feel that they can express what they think. So when John is writing, in 1 John, he's talking about people who are introducing ideas into the church that are actually destructive and leaving the church hollowed out and empty. His question is, are you really listening to God or are you listening to human beings, to women and to men? who have these ideas that they think are great, but that subtract from the gospel of Christ, who take away from who he is and what he's about. So at the beginning of this chapter, we see what John is saying is this, dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit. The problem is this, the church needs to be an alternative counterculture and the church becomes weak when the world comes into it. That becomes the great problem in the life of the church. All these spirits are speaking into the life of the church. Believe this, follow this, this is true. And particularly around the whole idea about who Jesus is. You see, some people have come into the church in John's time and are saying, well, Jesus was a man, and then God kind of came into him in the, in the spirit and then left him when he was being executed on the cross and the spirit departed him and that's why Jesus could say my God my God why have you forsaken me because the spirit he was no longer part of the Godhead people were suggesting Jesus was less rather than more they were suggesting that Jesus might not have been the one through him through whom everything is created that Jesus is coexistent and co-eternal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. They were denying the idea of the God who is three in one. Subtracting rather than adding to Jesus' glory. And we see the same thing happening now. Jesus becomes simply a man whom we should follow. He's a great example to us. He's a good man who the world turned against and did decided that he needed to die. So we should follow his example and be prepared to die for our principles. So we devalue Christ and we do not elevate him to the place that God is in. So the church needs to maintain this idea that we are an alternative counterculture. We must not be weakened by denying who Jesus is. And John says this, basically the problem is, is here. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. The prophets who were teaching this had been, I think, removed and were teaching this around the world and the people were getting confused. What is, who is this Jesus really about? And John says this, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It's the incarnation that matters. You see, when we come to Christmas time, we're going to get wrapped up in the tinsel 
and the excitement. You're already planning what you're going to. You're going into town and you'll go and enjoy the Christmas markets and uh, be fleece rotten by the guys that are selling stuff there. And we'll go and see the pretty lights and we'll have the pretty... I love pretty lights. It's great. I'm not... We've got pretty lights up already in Kostorfin. And all of that's great. But you see, the, what we celebrate in Advent and the run-up to Christmas is the, is the preparation for the coming of the one who is God into this world. And the excitement of that, that God comes into this world in the flesh. He moves into the neighborhood, into this world. He moves into our lives. He's intimately concerned with each and every person that is here, with each and every person that is watching, with each and every person in our community. Jesus loves them. And that is the truth that John is is saying. You need to test everything around that whole idea. That's whether you know someone is speaking the truth. You need to test it. So when a speaker comes to church and stands up, ask the, ask the question of them of what they're saying. Interrogate them. Not interrogate, don't sit them down with a bright light in front of them and interrogate them that way, but interrogate them in the sense of asking the question, are they pointing to Jesus and his sovereignty and his rulership over us and over everything? Is their desire to elevate Jesus? Or is their desire to elevate themselves and their own ideas? You see, John is pointing to the great problem. Every spirit, verse 3, that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And then he says this, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. That's the choice. The choice is between Christ, Jesus, or the Antichrist. See, the Antichrist spirit is not some person. It's not like the child Damien in The Omen, if you're familiar with that film. It's not like the evil son of Satan. The Antichrist even comes into the church. There are, did you know there are people in the church who are not for Christ? They are Antichrist. They are for themselves. And we need to be on our guard, on the lookout for those people getting a hook into our life together. It happens. It happens in every church. It happens even in the best of churches. And John says, you have that choice to make. You have the choice to make church. You have the choice to make individuals. Are you for Christ or are you for the Antichrist? Are you listening to the voice of the Antichrist or are you listening to the voice of the Lord? So which will we be this morning? Jesus or not Jesus? The second point I'd like to make this morning is this. I think from God's word, verse 4 says this. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love that verse. Um, I kind of, uh, it came to me late in the week. That's the verse we need to major on this morning. The one who is in us is greater than he is in the world. There's a song that someone wrote. Can anyone remember? I don't, I was trying to remember. Someone sing it to me, sing the melody for me. (laughs) That's it. That's the one. Yeah, it's a great song. I I did, I came to be late in the week, we should sing that, but we'll be doing it next week. Um, Or the week after. 
But it's a great reminder. He that is in us is greater than he who is in the world. What a great thing that is to know. But John is saying this, you need to understand the spiritual reality behind the material and recapture the supernatural nature of the battle that we face. Each of us is engaged in a spiritual battle day by day. The Antichrist, Christ. Constant choices, constant voices in our ears battling to have triumph. Constant fear. Some of us this morning live in fear. We're living in fear of what tomorrow will bring. The pressure of life is so great upon us. There's a great incident in uh, Second Kings in the Old Testament where Elisha uh, and God's people are um, being attacked by the king of Aram. The Arameans are about to attack. And it's really quite worrying the situation that they find themselves in. The forces that are arrayed against them are massive in comparison to what God's people have. And Elisha the prophet is facing this. And we read in 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 15. We read this. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. So imagine that scene in your eye, in your mind's eye. There's this huge army, horses, cavalry, chariots surrounding the city, and you see that coming against you. That's a very human reaction, isn't it? You would react just like that. This is a potential disaster, and the servant articulates that. Elisha responds in faith, as all good prophets ought to and should. He says this, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, you can imagine the servant having a look around the city and going, uh there are more with us than there are with them. This does not compute, Elisha. I know you're a man of God and we should trust what the man of God is saying, but this just doesn't look right to me. You know, what was going on here? What would um, the servant's reaction be? But then Elisha prays, which is a good response, isn't it? It's a good response when you're facing a trial, when you're facing a difficulty. It's always good to pray. It's good to pray when you're not facing a difficulty. It's good to pray as often as you can, whenever you can. But when you're in difficulty, we all do it. We all do it. So Elisha prays, and he prays this, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. So he's saying, Lord, I pray for my servant. He's really nervous and worried. Help him to see what I'm seeing here, what you're about to do which is a lovely thing to do. He's pastorally concerned for his servant. That, not that he would console him and go and say, you know, it's all going to be all right. Don't worry, it'll be fine. But Lord, would you speak to him so that he can see what is about to happen? And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and the servant looks out and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow. Greater is he 
that is in you than he who is in the world. You see, it is a spiritual battle that we're engaged in day by day by day. But God overcomes and God will help us overcome and deal with those forces that are coming against us. John wants to remind his dear children of this great truth. You are from God and you have overcome them because the one who is great, who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Remember that, dear people of God. The one who's in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What a great joy that is. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. The third thing to learn this morning in verses 5 and 6 is this. John writes, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. See, where there is falsehood, it sounds good, but it takes away the real hope that we are meant to have in Christ. He alone is our hope, not any human institution, not any individual, not putting, this is why churches fail. You know, sometimes churches um, elevate their leadership. Some of the mega churches that there are around the world elevate their leadership and then the leadership kind of fails. There's a big church in Kansas where this has happened in the last week where the leader has been discovered, uh, it's been revealed, has has fallen from grace, has been involved in inappropriate uh, relationships with, with people. And, and everyone goes, ah, you know, this is terrible. And of course, it is terrible. But when someone is put on a platform, anyone or anything other than Christ, then you can be pretty sure at some point they will let you down. See, your trust is not in the Lord. Your trust is in something else or someone else. And John is concerned that the, the, the hope people have is in the right place. Whoever, we are from God, verse 6, and whoever knows God listens to us. And John wants them to know we need to be that people of hope. We look ahead to the coming renewal of all things. But you need to know this. That's our hope that's where we put our trust. But you need to recognize that sometimes the world's not interested. In fact, a lot of the time, the world's not interested. One of my favorite bands from the 1980s, we've moved a bit from the early years of television into more recent times, the 1980s. Remember the 1980s? Some of the best music in the 1980s. One of my favorite bands in the 1980s was The Smiths. Anyone familiar with Yeah, thank you. One person knows who The Smiths are. Anyone else know who The Smiths are? Let's, let's, I was going to, I was going to, let's go through a list of our favorite Smith songs. Anyway, we won't do that. But the Smiths are from Manchester. The, uh, the lead singer is a guy called Morrissey, a uh, brilliant guitarist called Johnny Marr. Enough of that. You're not interested. Come and talk to, if you like the Smiths, talk to me afterwards. Um, but they brought out a compilation album in the mid-1980s, and the name of the compilation is The World Won't Listen. 
The world won't listen. Morrissey called it that because when they started out, they thought that nobody in the world was going to be interested in them. Nobody was going to listen to them. Nobody would be buying their records and nobody would be putting their records on their CD players or on their record decks. No one would listen. The world won't listen. Hence the name of this uh, album, this recording. The world won't listen. And John says that, doesn't he? They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. Really interesting, isn't it? Very similar to what we face right now. Some people in the church want the world to listen to us. It's kind of desperate because we're, kind of, we're in that place, as I said earlier, we're in that place of transition from Christendom to not being Christendom where our positions of power and control are failing. You know, we're not going to have that position for that much longer. Will it still? So we're trying to grasp it and we're trying to hold on to it a bit longer. And so the way we do that is we want the world to listen to us. So the way, why, what would the world listen to? Well, if we're a bit more like the world, the world will listen to us. So if we kind of adopt the ways of the world and we have the attitudes of the world, then um, the world will listen to us some more. Some people get really scandalized by um, some of the things that happen in cathedrals now. I uh, heard of a silent disco happening in a cathedral. Actually, a silent disco is never silent because people talk, you don't hear the music, but everybody's chatting and woo, all right, woo. And uh, various cathedrals have done this recently. And some people get really upset because the, that's the world coming in to the church. Now, that may or may not be true. You might get upset by it. I'm not sure I get that upset by it. But what I do get upset by, because I think God is upset by it, is when we adopt what the world teaches as being the norm or the right thing, the church begins to lose something. Slowly but surely, Salami slicing takes place, and will that, the one in whom we believe is diminished. So we forget that Jesus was there at the beginning of creation when human beings were created, women and man were created. Men and women, he created them to complement one another. The two represent the one. We reflect the image of God. And we're in a world where, well, actually, we're not so sure about that. Man and woman identity becomes all wrapped up in identity politics. We're not so sure about that now. But actually, you know, my friends who are kind of drifting and moving around will say, well, you know, we can change all sorts of things as long as the uniqueness of Christ doesn't get attacked. But what we fail to recognize is the uniqueness of Christ. Jesus is the, it's only his name that by whom we are saved. That gets eroded bit by bit. When we look at the creation, we realize the one who was there involved in creation at the beginning, Jesus himself, is no longer quite as reliable to get it right when men and women are created. And so when we succumb and we basically say, that's not really right you know we need to we've, we know more now scientifically we've learned so much that we need to adapt and change what we believe we slowly or quickly erode who Jesus is and what God has done in Christ not only at the crucifixion and the resurrection but in the creation and that kind of pressure in our culture is what in our church culture is one that is growing we need to adapt and change in order to be more acceptable. And John says, you know, the world won't listen. The world won't listen. And that's frustrating and painful and difficult. One of the things we're going to do in the next month is this. We've got 
leaflets welcoming people to St. Thomas's. Thousands of these things. Beautifully produced, glossy paper. And we're going to, if you want to get your steps up, your daily steps, the church loves you so much we want to give you an opportunity to do this. There'll be 25 areas for us to go into and uh, drop these through the letterbox along with invitations to other things, writing lights and stuff. And it would be great, it would be a great thing to do. Everybody in West Edinburgh, up to West Craigs and up to Camo, we hope we'll get one of these things through the letterbox. And we've been working on it and preparing it. It's been going to and fro from the printer to try and get organized. And all the time I'm reading these verses. And I'm thinking, some of these are just going to end up in the bin. But I'm praying that enough of them get read by people and people go, oh. Oh, what's this all about? Church. I never really thought about church before. In John chapter 16, we're reminded of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Church of the Holy Spirit says, does this. Jesus says, when he comes, verse 8 of John chapter 16, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We sometimes talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, giving spiritual gifts and so on. That's really important. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to faith, to bring people into a place of conviction of sin, to understand the spiritual reality behind the existence that we have. That this is not all there is. So my prayer is that when we put these things through letterboxes, the Holy Spirit is at work in our area, at work through what we've written and what we've put down, and that people will inquire and want to find out more and some here might might say well is it really worth it (laughs) well who knows but we step out in faith you know last weekend we had a great time together and it was it was just lovely it was wonderful and there's an opportunity I'm giving all the notices now Miller by the way (laughs) to the sermon Um, There'll be an opportunity to feedback. There are some forms there for you to fill in if you want to write down what you thought of last weekend. But it was a great weekend. And um, on Monday morning, I woke up on Monday morning in a complete and utter slump. You ever get days like that? No, not just Monday blues, Monday morning blues. Most of us who are working will have experienced that. But I was in a real funk. I wasn't doing funk. I was in a funk. You know, I was just really low. And, um, and struggling. And then I listened to a podcast. A podcast came up called The Good News. The Good News. The Good News. That's Scottish. The Good News. And on it was, it was a, a, a minister called Lindsay Brennan. Someone I know. She used to come to St. Silas in Glasgow. And She's now a Church of Scotland minister. And I thought, oh, I'll listen to this because it's about how she came to faith. I thought, maybe she'll mention St. Silas 
in her in her podcast. So I began listening to this, and I really—I didn't—I thought I can't really be bothered listening to this, but I'm going to listen to it just out of just kind of nosiness, really. But Lindsay tells her story of how she came to faith, and um, and she says this at the beginning. She said, "I never really had an awful lot of joy in life. I had lots of things I knew should bring me joy. I had a wonderful family. I had a fantastic career. I had good friends, but I always felt." I was missing out on life. And she told the story about how someone invited her to church and uh, how she found a welcome, how it was a church that had a lively worship group, but it was the welcome and the invitation, invitation to come on Alpha, she went on Alpha. And, um, and my memory of her, I was, on, I was uh, part of the Alpha team in the church, and um, I remember her, and I remember the questions that she asked, and I can remember when she came to faith. And it was such a reminder to me, an encouragement, really, of how God works in people. That she came as someone who was, a, was broken for all sorts of reasons. She talks about this on the podcast. If you want to know, if you want to listen to it, do a search for the Good News podcast on Apple. I think it will come up. D-I apostrophe G-I-D. And it will come up. But she talks about how she came to faith. She talks about the church and how the church helped her come to faith. And she not only talks about that, she talks about how she changed and how she got involved in ministry and service and how her life changed because she encountered God, the living God, who spoke to her so clearly of the love that he had for her. And it reminded me of the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will work in us and through us as we do those things that God wants us to do. As we look forward to who we are going to be, what we're going to be about in the coming years, it's important to recognize it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And as we turn to God, as we uh, listen to him, he will work through us and he will bring transformation in people's lives. People's lives will get turned around. We can believe that, we can trust that, we can, we've seen that in the past and we will see it again in the future. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The world might not listen, and we could get despondent about that. The world might not listen, but he that is in us is greater than he is in the world, and some will listen. So please don't dismiss us when we try to do things, when we try to be invitational, when we try to get word out about what God is doing at St. Thomas's. Please don't dismiss that, because there will be some who God is at work in already, even before we've had any contact with them. The world might not listen, but some individuals will be listening because the, the Lord is already at work in them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And so let's ask that question of ourselves this morning. Are we listening to God? And are we prepared for God to be uh, bringing us in contact with those who are open to what he is saying? The world won't listen, but some will. But some will. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and we pray for your blessing on it as we go from here. Pray, Lord, for each person here that there will be someone this week with whom each of us is able to share the gospel in word and in deed.
And we pray that there would be hearts in our community who, in our communities who are open, who are you're already working and drawing to yourself. May we be a place that is full of truth. May our desire be to see Jesus lifted up and elevated. May we point to him, the one who is coexistent, co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And may everything we do and everything we say be about glorifying him. And may you be glorified in the life of this church and the life of each one of us this week, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.